السلام عليكم ورحمه الله ويلكم بيبول وعليكم السلام ورحمه الله وبركاته ان بيهاف ذا بيبول اه انيو الحمد لله دكتور ايماد از هير اند دكتور رومالي از هير توداي از ويل um and alhamdulillah i've been an imam in colchester for um about four years and i've known dr ramadi for about that much of a period um and alhamdulillah what, how i know him is as like a very um god-fearing person a very god-conscious person like somebody who's aware of how allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that plays a role in his life um and he would attend the masjids very very regularly and we would have we would spend some time together like even one to one we'd have like some lessons i would apparently teach him uh, but we would learn about the quran i would learn about life and i think the the biggest thing which i took away was like despite his um his other credentials which imad might explain in a minute um he had such a humble mashallah sorry i, I don't want to embarrass him man but he had such a nice humble personality and it was really nice to have somebody who's kind of um, working professionally who comes and you know sits with imams and comes to the masjid and sits with all the all the muslims and is so proud of their iman and wears the iman you know like a badge mashallah alhamdulillah it's been so nice to know him for that many years that's um that's how i know dr ramani alhamdulillah um imad are you gonna are you gonna <laughs> further introduce yourself okay alhamdulillah bismillah rahman rahim uh i've met dr ramani for the first time here actually when we're speaking uh but obviously i've known him for quite a few weeks now you know through uh his engagement in the podcast alhamdulillah so dr ramali um you know he's an active member of the masjid and you know one of the active members of the community in colchester but he's also a consultant in anesthesia and intensive care medicine and he is the research lead for icu and covid trials and has he's been in the ro- ro- this uh, particular role for the last 17 years and he also serves as one of the tutors at uh, the Bath and London Medical School which is one of the oldest medical school in the entire uh, UK and alhamdulillah he's trained in in UCL in other role free and um, St Ormond Street and you know he's got a lot of experience in that field alhamdulillah so he's someone we can take personally i can take a lot of benefit from him you know but alhamdulillah by extension even habib mashallah as you described he's an individual who we can all alhamdulillah take benefit from so i think just to kick start uh the the kind of conversation and i think habib tried not to be passive yeah being active kind of member of this conversation we won't keep it too medical if we make it too medical then inshallah habib can turn us to uh, steer us in the right direction again okay inshallah but i just okay, wanted to also ask say something then Yes. Okay, go on. Yeah. Then, yeah, that's fine. Go on, Iman. Okay. Now, usually I uh, me ask the question from students. So today it's your turn. Just throw anything. Subhanallah. <laughs> so, can you tell us the type of exam questions that you have to find all your students? Now, joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. So, um, Alhamdulillah, Dr. Amali, I just wanted to first ask. um what kind of your job in what does your job involve as someone who's quite senior now in the uh the field of anesthetics and intensive care medicine is something that's so relevant to a lot of people and maybe a year ago or two years ago people who would not really know anyone who's been in the intensive treatment unit and now practically a person in every other household or in in an extended group of friends they'll know someone who's been in the ITU and it's a lot different than you know the normal 
parts of the hospital. So can you just tell us a bit about your experiences there and, you know, um, your training that got you there? Definitely. But before I go into that, I need to just uh, explain a little bit to uh, where I, I'm here now. I think until I met Imam Habib, I was not uh, in regular contact with, uh, uh, it's changed me as a person. So the, the one thing I remember from his teaching is knowing is the enemy of learning. That changed me. So at no stage, I will think that I know everything. If you have that, you are go not going to learn anything. And the second thing he used to say, which actually honestly changed my approach to everything, curiosity. So I'm curious to find out new things. That's the only way we can. So I, I, I threw away all the shyness. I used to go like I used to go uh, in, in childhood with a Quran in my hand to go to him one to one classes because I, I, I learned Quran when I was small, but he, he, he polished it nicely. So my, my, my uh, Salah got much better and concentration. So I couldn't thank him for. And now coming back to your question. Uh, so so be, being a senior consultant comes with lots of responsibilities. So that's the difference. As a trainee, you do a lot of hard work, but uh, as a consultant, you have to be responsible for whoever does the work. I'm sure you know that as a lima, that's a student. So it's just uh, the responsibilities in ICU and anesthesia. Anesthesia, it's easy, right? It's like basically flying a new aeroplane. Patient goes to sleep, that's your takeoff, and they do the operation, and we are cruising in midair, so maybe slight turbulence then and there, and then landing is your you are waking up. That's very straightforward. And anesthesia is so safe. But the issue is with intensive care medicine, where the responsibility comes. So sometimes you have to make decisions in spur of moment, life and death. So my, my always my fear is, Islamically, I had to answer to all these decisions to Allah, right? So whether someone to be on a ventilator or not, is it the right time where he gets better or won't he get better? So that is what I'm, I'm always worried about, and I, I want to do the right decisions. So uh, it's just a responsibility, and and it's something uh, intensive care is something where it's so rapidly evolving and changing. So one minute you have a patient who is doing well, next minute he may be having a cardiac arrest, or we have to be uh, doing a lot of things in, in 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 a short time, and you never know through that door, who will come? It could be a baby, it could be an 80 year old gentleman. So uh, my do I every time is just, just make me, um, help me make the right decisions. And uh, so that I will be answerable in the right way. Like, like you know, Imad, end of life care and all. It's not easy, but it's only a minor component, but most of our patients, they get better and then thank us and we are very happy to see them uh, leave intensive care so that's basically it's a responsibility I'm, I'm 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 so concerned and whether i'm doing it right most of the time i feel i'm doing it correctly for the sake alhamdulillah i think subhanallah it's you know already being uh, someone in intensive care i think is such an, a hard responsibility and just um, uh, kind of having that moral judgment when like you're faced with so so 
like such extreme sort of decisions that you probably have to take at times when you know when to take off the life support machine the ventilator you know when to intubate someone you know all of these decisions may be really really difficult and you know at times there might be the family might be against your decision but you as a clinician i think have to make uh, judgments but i think there's another layer to that with yourself alhamdulillah like you know you're yeah. kind of balancing that with your islam and what your islam tells you as well you have to kind of uh, rectify that in terms of you believe in some repercussions of your actions that will happen on the on the day of judgment and you're accountable for all your deeds Definitely. in that sense so so allah it adds an extra layer so what's this might be a difficult question but out of your mashallah you know decades of experience what has been the most difficult time as a doctor or during your practice i mean you asked me at the right time the covid has been the most and and um, without mentioning names today i had a young something old gentleman was in his end of life so not that long to go so i had to call the partner just to say this is the situation so it's it's a non muslim family so so it just broke my heart the question uh, she asked me is it too late to marry so so i just i was almost in tears i felt so sorry for them so these are the types so as an intensivist you look as at as people who are doing things always in the forefront all uh, hands on deck doing lines in doing tubes in but there's another element to that where this type of conversations so being covid i mean within a couple of hours he passed away it was an expected one but he had lots of other problem but he was young but so today actually if you ask has been a difficult day but alhamdulillah uh, this is one way of me trying to get back to normal that having conversations with people the other difficult time i'm sure imam habib will remember that i actually i was in tears my one of my sisters noted that that was my worst not worst day uh, difficult day where i think uh, imam habib you remember to uh, a brother and a sister they got drowned in clacton oh. uh, 15 oh, yeah. and 17 year old yeah. and i yeah. was i've actually I was mentioned on call. that to Imad as well because yeah. that was um yeah, I was on... even for me that that was the first time I'd Anybody. experienced like Anybody. um having to yeah. deal with the parents directly yeah. and I was there before he actually passed away while they were still hoping that he'd survive yeah. I actually managed to come in as well so that was quite big for me as all well, that incident so what was, was the, the first time incident? so that was um, a family from from somewhere London had come on a day visit to Clacton you know uh, Colchester is close to the coast clacton is a very famous mm -hmm. beach of frinton i think uh, they had tried to go to deep end or somebody tried to jump and save the other person so a, a sister and a brother i think or cousin and a brother they are young 19 year old and a 15 year old so i was on call that day for icu so obviously uh, uh, a rest call went out to say that there is a cardiac arrest child coming post arrest 15 year old so i got worried So sometimes these things happen. Then to see more, 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 we got more information that there has been a family who'd been drowned, and they are bringing another two 
So, and then suddenly everything changed. So it was a calm afternoon and within five minutes, it's all changed. So we had a 15 year old, still having CPR in any research, didn't make it and passed away. And then we had this boy, 19 year old, he had cardiac output. We took him to ICU, looked after him briefly. And then the other girl, luckily, we need to come to ITU. She was okay. She went to Peds ward and then she, she was fine. And there was a big family. I mean, it was a Muslim family. So big family, so lots of relatives and mother, father, I can't understand English well. So it was emotionally draining. So being on call, so I tried my best uh, to the other thing is it's very difficult uh, uh, to, to, to explain to people what happens in ICU because you rarely see them. And I don't think I knew Imam Habib that well those days. So when I, uh, I, I finished the day and went off and I came next day, but I think Imam Habib must have come during uh, when I wasn't there. So I had to do the brainstem test on that boy with another colleague of mine. Uh, that just being looking at those uh, children as my own children and and they were ha happily coming for a day out and then having this disaster so it was a difficult one uh, and uh, I, I i resided inside when 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 i was doing the brain center and they wanted to watch me doing it but they were clinging on to hope till last minute i'm sure uh, Imam, you can you can share your own experience. This is from a medical background and a human. So I was actually in tears, and one of one of uh, my sisters noticed that, and then came and spoke to me. So I, that goes to show we are, after all, human beings, and then we 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 do our best. But when when that happens, Allah's will, nobody can change it. So, so uh, yeah, if uh, Imam Habib wants to, yeah, yeah, definitely. I think. Um... Like obviously when we when I turn up as an imam, like it's not just this kind of an incident like sometimes um, You could get a medical problem and somebody's died or it could be like in one case where somebody's dad's calling me and His son's like basically suicidal and drunk and just been arrested um, <laughs> That could be a different example, but like sometimes you have these highly emotional situations which are if you just jump into them it's actually quite hard to know exactly what to do so when you turn up and there's that father there there's the mother there um, and there's all these relatives of these two young people who have died who are well basically they're still clinging on to hope at that time then um like i think the instinct for most people is to freeze so at that time i hadn't put myself in that situation much so i think i kind of froze and the nurses that were there, they were kind of used to it, I guess. They were good at it. So they were kind of actually, um, to some extent, calming down the parents. And actually, it was hard to calm them down, but actually kind of speaking to them, engaging with them, reminding them of their kids, like doing what they should do, which is, you know, reminding them of the happy moments which they had with their kids and how much of the blessing their kids were. Um, but I actually found that very hard to do. So then from that moment, that's why from that time, I actually made a point to try and rather than trying to shy away from these highly emotional situations. Actually, you know, when somebody dies, like you sh you're the imam, you should be the first one there. We should try and go there and see what you can do. Um, and actually trying to put myself in those highly emotional situations. Um, and I think that helped a lot because it, it means now I'm 
much better prepared. So usually when I'm going to one of these situations, um, I've got a bit of a plan which usually doesn't work. But nonetheless, I'm kind of together enough to just be there with the family. And alhamdulillah, I think the way to do that is to, and I think with this whole COVID thing, now I've found just so many more opportunities to just offer that emotional support where people just kind of do want to cry. They want to break down. They want to be sad. They want to commit suicide in some cases. And you have to like just work with them, man. There's no perfect solution, but I think it's just learning to work with those emotions. I think that's what I learned anyway from from dealing with that with that incident. Subhanallah, I think this uh, incident in particular is just such a difficult one where the children are healthy children are passing away before their parents. And it's what I think in Urdu they say, something which is it's not in line with the natural order of things. You know, parents shouldn't really be, be parent, burying their children. You know, it's it's not the norm to do that. However, the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam did do that. And it's, it's just a reminder for us that the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he went through that pain of burying his own child Ibrahim and this was when you know later on in his life you know when he he'd had so many struggles already and he still cried you know and it's it's like you said it's people want to let out their emotions and it's okay to let out your emotions because the messenger sallallahu did cry and he you know at this incident when his son uh, passed away Ibrahim and he was in um, Medina at the time and then he said, you know, one of the companions said, the Messenger began to cry. And one of the companions said, Wa ya Rasulullah. And you, O Messenger of Allah, saying, you are the, the messenger. You know, you're meant to keep everyone else in line, tell them to control their emotions. But you are crying. And the Messenger continued to cry. He didn't, you know, he didn't, he, he wasn't interrupted by it. He just carried on crying. And then when the Messenger was done, he, he said some words that, you know, that echo this kind of message that it's okay to have emotion but in tadma that the eyes are the thing are the ones that weep and the heart is the thing that grieves the organ that grieves you know we grieve with our heart and we're allowed to do that this is the message of expressing his human emotion and then but he said the third sentence but we don't say anything except that which is in that which is in correspondence to the pleasure of Allah. Allah taught us the way to sort of grieve. You know, Allah taught us that when we when we have a relative who has passed away, there is a certain funeral process that we go through. And that funeral process isn't just for the deceased person, it's actually for the people who are living as well. So they can, you know, emotionally be able to recover from the departure of their loved one. And I think, you know, the whole because I've noticed in myself, you know, my uh, grandma passed away from COVID-19 a few months ago. And the the whole thing about, you know, the death, obviously, it's a very difficult thing. And especially when, you know, someone lives with you, like my grandma used to live with us. And I think one of was it Joe Biden who said last year, um, you know, there will be loads of people who will have an empty seat at the dining table. You know, and it's just so real. Like you'll have someone who's in that seat, and now they're no longer in that seat in your own home. So obviously, it was a really, really difficult process. But I, I can remember myself as well. And this was obviously quite recently. That after uh, the funeral process took place, and Alhamdulillah, somehow, even though it was a COVID nineteen death, we were able to wash the body and bury uh, her before sunset on the day she passed away. You know, that was you know. Alhamdulillah, loads of people helped out And it was, you know, Allah's will And for some reason we really wanted her to be buried You know, so we can 
start the next chapter and sort of grieving for her as well and reciting Quran because you know you're mashahool with 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 things and and loads of things that people think are not Islamic practices as well for and they think it's a cultural practice good practice but it's a cultural practice for example making food for those a family who's deceased and giving them food this is actually a practice from the Sunnah the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi commanded this you know when one of the companions um, the I think it was Jafar was it Jafar Tayyar um, I'm not sure if you can correct you can correct me, but this hadith mentioned when he passed away, the you know the Prophet instructed the Sahaba to make food for them, you know, make food for the family because they're gonna be they're gonna be mashhul, they're gonna be you know busy in, in preparing things. So it's from the Sunnah to do these things, and you know when you and the, even burying the individual, the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said those there is. The mountains of reward that literally he compared it to mountains uh, of reward you know the person who goes and you know takes the funeral beer which is actual funeral uh, the janaza to the grave you know they get one uh, one kirat and the person who kind of buries them they get a double and one of these rewards are in equivalent to the mountain of uhud so it's, i think it's, even yeah so even with the emotional thing there's the spiritual side of the death like which wakes us up like both of you obviously in the medical field like there's a like like because uh, Imad saying like the Prophet ﷺ gives a reward for the burial for the janazah and for the burial, uh, but like the going to the graveyard itself reminds us of death. And I guess you know being in your profession, you know, is also to that kiro komul akhira reminds you of the hereafter. I guess um, there's a message here from Ian, by the way, um, on the screen. Um, he's a he's a responder. He's a community responder. Um, so he's just saying that he also has. You know similar things he's also you know um you know, dealing with cardiac arrests and things like that so he's trained to deal with that and you know ian from our zoom calls so th th that's what yeah. he does as well but he's just saying you know it's very true that one more question i'd like to ask dr amelie okay so we you experienced like you said you know you said covid 19 was uh, in terms of generally it's one of the most difficult times in your career and you know these specific incidents like when you have children who pass away and it just seems you know it's hard to kind of deal with these uh, moments you have in your career so how would you advise someone who's junior to you like myself like i'm going to experience similar things in my career as well where you know i'll experience death i'll experience things that you know i, I it's human nature to kind of be like Wait, they went before their time so how can what advice can you give to someone who's junior to you to how do you recalibrate yourself what what sort of techniques do you have for that yeah i mean it's just as i mean we actually it's good practice to think of that as person right so everyone's going to face that so when you see it first time uh, as you said when you start your career it's going to be difficult but as a medical student just gradually gradually uh, getting into that so just taking something positive of it so let's say okay we tried everything or we didn't let him suffer or her suffer and 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 they the best thing we get from families is they thank us profusely to what we've done and only the the most commonest request is don't let him suffer so it's just having that uh, we call it the package or, or, or end of life care pathway. In a, we, we get a lot of thank you letters for just from dying, uh, uh, I mean, relatives of dying patients. So when you do it properly, there is a, there is a saying within our, 
ITU community, you can say, oh, this person had a good death. That's because he 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 didn't suffer. So sometimes any reasons we have patients who may be dying, but we sometimes take them to ITU, put him put them in a in a in a nice little side room, and let the family come and stay with them, and then so so if you feel or see that happening, uh, you can get some some consolation from that you've done everything because as as doctors we there's only much we can do and there's uh, the 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 best way i give uh, when i talk to relatives i tell them uh he is telling us something now we've done everything i think he wants to go and we tried our best uh, we will make sure he won't suffer and and we'll we'll will the the phrase we use is we'll turn our focus of care to comfort from no one and and that sort of uh, thing so it's very difficult to uh, uh, give one like a like a bullet points or something like that it's, it's by experience as well and then how so that's where the the spirituality or, or or that comes into play as well because you 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 have to be patient be calm and go and uh, ask uh, uh, for guidance so but I, because we are talking on this this is the negative side of it but there are lots of good things happening in icu as well people might think this is the only thing which happens in icu but uh, yeah so uh, for a student that's my advice will be it's difficult to individualize and it's it's it's, it's there is a personality i mean i'm sure Imad, you are much mature and you are very religious so you can take it in a better way so it's just mentoring those students properly but when they start coming to it and they have a placement all these students and they get to know how we do things which is as i said there's no one way Samanda, so there's general kind of, you know, I suppose, yeah, with experience, of course, you know, you do kind of um, kind of respond. I would say, so I would say that um, as um, Dr. Romney's kind of consultant, his way of responding would probably kind of like go down into the rest of his team to some extent, like as in, so the team yeah, would have a similar it's... response. So when it's come to these uh, sort of things, it's opposite to what happens with another patient. So when there's a patient who is very ill, the juniors will attend first and then call us, and then we will get involved, tell them what to do, and then make sure they get the right care. When it comes to these sort of conversation, it starts with us. We have to take responsibility, and we will be the first to go and talk to them. And sometimes we might take a junior with us just for them to learn how we do these conversations and things like that. So it's a, they're exposed to these things from medical student days, and they have their own way they'll adapt. And it, as I said, uh, these sort of difficult conversation always starts from us, with us, and from top to bottom. So um, the hadith I mentioned earlier was in Sunan Tirmidhi, and it was Ja'far ibn Abi Talib who, who had passed away um, in one of the battles towards the end of the Messenger's life. And the Messenger commanded his own family, Isna'u li ali Ja'far ta'aman fa innahu qad atahum amra shughlihim, or amru shughlihim. So, or amrun shaghalahum. So, 
the Prophet commanded them, his family, that make uh, uh, food for the family of Jafar because they have a situation now which they're really busy, you know, attending to the, the lost one and, you know, the beloved who had just departed from this world. Uh, just a follow-up question from the previous one. Um, after, you know, so many years of seeing death, dying and, you know, being in an acute a situation where most of the patients in, I would say most of the patients in IU would be unconscious. Am I correct to say that? Or, may, or not? Not always. No, uh, we have conscious patients. So ITU is usually uh, HDU. So we have levels of care, level three, level two. So yeah. level one will be the patients on the wards. We call them level one care, which is minimum care needed, but they, they get the treatment for their disease. Level two is they need more care. So it could be in a high dependency environment. Say they might need some extra oxygen. They might uh, need some uh, extra help to maintain their blood pressure, but they are conscious. Level three is the most sickest people, which is on a ventilator, unconscious. Uh, so that's level three. So I see you will see patients who are awake, but maybe having, uh, having dialysis to, to look after the kidney temporarily, or maybe having uh, inotropes to look after the blood pressure until, until say, for sepsis until they get better. So those sort of patients are uh, classed as level two or high dependency patients. So they'll be awake, they'll be able to talk to us. And those are the people we, we monitor, either they can go into level three or they can get better and become level one and go to ward. Whereas level three patients are the one which are severely ill, like these COVID patients you see, most of the COVID patients are level three on a ventilator. They're unconscious, when it's unconscious, they're anesthetized by giving medications until they get better, they'll be on a ventilator. That's how we class it uh, in, in IT community, levels of care. So, you know, um, after so many years, so this is the follow-up question. After so many years of being a consultant and being seeing patients who are kind of level two, level three, these sort of patients, do you see yourself being desensitized towards death and dying and these sort of situations? Mm -hmm. No, Imad, it's the other way. I, I remember, so in a way, I take lessons from it, and and if this is going to happen to me at some point, I need to prepare for it. So remind. So one thing happened. I mean, for my children also, when I'm originally from Sri Lanka, so we get exposure to death and attending Janaza prayers since childhood. So we attend Janaza prayers there, big community, and 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 my childhood. It's been always uh, going for those things and reminding that. After coming here, we, it's not as common as there. So my children may have attended two, maximum or three Janaza prayers here. Whereas in, 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 in our whole country, we will have attended about 20, 25 throughout about 10, 15 years. So uh, it's it's constant reminder for me. Uh, and I take a lot of lessons, and these are ones we can't prevent these deaths. So I I don't, I know, uh, Allah should protect me, I never become desensitized, and and, and uh, uh, it's difficult. Hmm. I think, it's a constant you know, reminder. Yeah, so does it affect your your like normal life? So you, you mentioned Alhamdulillah, you have children and you know you have a family. Yeah. So how what are your techniques? Do you 
so as soon as you leave the hospital and see you know these really ill patients and you you mentioned you know it has such a huge emotional effect on you how do you then switch on from that mode and then kind of switch off and kind of deal with your family or is it that it always has an effect and it's always kind of uh shadowing over you how can you explain a bit about that no no the work doesn't come home i empty the bucket when i leave the hospital use that phrase empty the bucket and come home and actually iman is is that is my how can i say consolation i reflect on them all the years i've been with them every day i i reflect get a chance to reflect on them night before i go to sleep this is what we've been through this is where we are so so work doesn't come and you'll be surprised uh, my daughter is a f2 now so we don't talk that much medicine here at home sometimes she asks me some question related to a patient that it stops there if i start talking too much medicine there even my wife who is not a doctor may start giving advice by just listening to us so <laughs> and then and then my son iman he's one year senior to you he's fifth year medical student Mashallah. so he is so we are medical family but we rarely talk those things at terms so it's completely different that is so interesting the, 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 the consolation of seeing them they, they are my source of strength my family and 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 the, I, I reflect on them because alhamdulillah they've done well i can reflect on them and 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 I think a lot of positives so now i come back after a long time and we never i mean whole day in itu uh so not uh, not I've got not a question from the audience yes um, which is like i think i think he's referring this is a uh, brother asmil's one of brother asmil's kids oh i said. know the card trick yes Atif. <laughs> is it atif uh, i'm so bad at the names atif. man yeah yeah it's atif it's atif the magical See? yeah even so he's trying to cover his face i know the magician which kind of yeah, says he's a magician yes. so, so this is his youtube channel Anyway, so what he's saying, I think he's referring back to emptying the bucket. Maybe the comment, um, yes. like, yeah. is there a technique for that? Like, um, like, how can you empty the bucket? You know, as leave. I think Imad might have alluded to that a little bit as well. Um, and I don't want to go too deep onto this, but um, like, um, nope. is it like how possible is that on especially on a difficult day, or is it kind of? that talking about like like you mentioned talking about it here with imad and i is kind of therapeutic is good it's nice and getting calls from other people is good um does it kind of you know like talking about it maybe with the family as well does that kind of help or how do we empty that bucket before we get home no you you have to actively do that when you are coming home you are you are back to where you are you are a husband you are a father and there is no point uh, nobody's going to gain so i can I can dissociate myself. It's again, I think he asked whether we are trained for that. We go through a big, I mean, about five, seven years of training. So, so it's, 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 Alhamdulillah, it's happening. I, without you, not, without me knowing, I think I was trained because you had to go through to become a consultant, uh, seven years of training. So, uh, yeah. and it depends again, personality as well. Definitely. I know some, I remember I was uh, three, three, four years ago now, I was just sitting with this GP and I remember he used to work as a pediatric cardiologist and he, the reason why he left that 
and he left um, caring for these children in, in who had these heart conditions. Most of them were they were born with them, so there were these congenital heart disease diseases. And he he said the reason I left it is because I used to wake up in the middle of the night sometimes, and I used to think about this child that's you know someone else's child, but he just felt so so such a big connection to them that. He, he just couldn't sleep sometimes or he used to get stressed so for these sort of individuals what sort of advice practical advice could you give like you, you did mention one thing about reflection I think that's so important you know reflecting over it and thinking you know what um, what happened during the day it happened and I couldn't have done any more and just spending a moment to think about it that's one thing I think I, I learned today from you as well um, but what other sort of advice would you give to someone who keeps on thinking about sort of uh, certain patients that what if I did this what if I did that maybe I could have saved their life maybe you know I did something wrong did I check their bloods properly and you know all of these little little things but they might escalate you know in your mind and they they play and you think you know it's interesting in the hadith is mentioned as well um if you say uh lau, lau, the, the the word lau, which is if 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 it, it opens the doors to uh shaitan's whispers you know but what practical kind of <laughs> what practical advice would you give for this individual again Iman, it, it's very difficult to individualize these things because i have within my colleagues itself, they would be uh, reflecting and, and telling us, oh, I should have, uh, you are right, I should have done this, or we should have. So just talking to other people, colleagues, and, and you call it, a, a, I think these sort of people will, will benefit from a debrief sort of a thing. So talk to people and, and, and then uh, share your uh, concerns. That's the only way because we, after that big incident, we, 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 so if you compare that with that incident we were talking about with Imam Habib, we had a debrief, big debrief to make sure everybody is okay. And we had to do it twice. So nobody gets emotionally affected. So it, it's very difficult. So this is maybe the reason why, why, I don't know how to say, uh, this sort of jobs. It's not easy. And uh, I think it all starts in, from your medical school interview. That's why it's so difficult to get in as well. And then during the interview, we test all these sort of traits. And I'm sure you remember, we test all those things. Uh, whether somebody will go through five years of this, or if they, we feel that they can't go through this, then, then they don't get into So it's, it's very difficult. Yeah, but when you become senior. Interesting thing you alluded to, having a certain personality type for the job. Mm. And mm. I think mm. yeah, that's true in a way. I never really thought about that. You need a certain personality type to be able to deal with stress. And that's why you ask at the interviews. You know, and that's why, you know, mm. these are things that mm. are kind of elicited mm. very early on. You know, to see if you have mm -hmm. these qualities inside you to be mm -hmm. able to manage stress, manage death, mm -hmm. you know, be able to kind of compartmentalize your emotions. But it's, it is, you know, such a difficult thing to do at the end of the day, I think, you know, just to kind of leave things away. But Alhamdulillah, what I've noticed from both of you is, uh, Dr. Ramel, you have Habib to kind of, you know, as to debrief. And I, I just really like this, you know, after that interview. After that um, sort of incident that you had with the with the little boy and little girl, and Habib's told me about this two three times now, so I know it definitely affected him. 
you know, whether subconsciously, you know, he keeps on mentioning it. So definitely it did affect him. And even I know this incident before, you know, I spoke about it with you. So I think that debrief is, is so important and having someone to debrief with. And I think for anyone who's kind of watching or listening to this in the future, uh, in the in the medical profession or in a profession where you have like a high stress environment, maybe not medicine, where you're involved with people where it's highly testing on your own emotions, you should reach out to people like Imam Habib and you should reach out to your local Imams because there are so many people you can benefit from by just having a word with them. I remember um, this this rotation I'm on at the moment is oncology and palliative care. So palliative mm. care for the audience is when that you, you treat someone without a curative intent. So you're not treating them to cure them, you're treating them to ease their symptoms and make it easy for them before they die and pass away. So one of the things that this uh, this consultant told, told us, we, we asked her the same question I was asking you about death and dying because, you know, they are the mm -hmm. doctors who are frequently involved in this. And they said they do, the, the difference between them and other consultants is they have this special counsellor that they meet uh, every month or every two months and they can debrief with, with them. So, you know, like you mentioned, even though maybe that provision isn't there in for every single consultant to have a debrief with a particular counsellor, for Muslims, I think it's really good if we can reach out to people like Habib, people, our right. imams, you know, people who are knowledgeable and people who are even our own families to have that debrief. So I think, yeah, that's a really effective way to deal with this emotional stress that we have. I think I want to move on to the conversation. I always speaking for 40 minutes, but I feel like we've only just started our conversation because COVID-19, I thought that was going to be the bulk of the conversation and i know loads of people waiting for that so i just wanted to ask once uh, you know we can talk all doctors can talk about covid19 and you know people expect gps to know about covid19 any any anyone who has the title dr before the name they become an expert on covid19 but i think you are in a unique position where you see the the kind of intensic effects of covid19 to the effect that you see the 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 escalated effects because COVID-19 is, is spread and loads of people have the minor symptoms and they recover from them but you are able to see those who maybe will not recover it's likely that they won't recover and they're intubated they're on the ventilator so I wanted to ask you this question about happy hypoxia so uh, of course you know uh, if, uh, you can explain to Habib better than I can and it's something I, I was so baffled about you know how uh, patients who on this on the like on the SATs probe and on like the 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 the, the instruments we use to measure the oxygen, they are so low, such a low level of oxygen. However, they still seem conscious, and I think that in a way, I was looking at, I was thinking about this myself as well, and I was thinking for some people this can be really beneficial because they can they can be conscious, they can be aware, they can mentally prepare for the transition to the hereafter, you know, and they can, you know, recite, uh, they can, you know, console their families and, you know, put their affairs in order. But for some people who, and unfortunately, there's some places like in London where, you know, you're overwhelmed with COVID patients and you can't let the families into the hospital because not because you're, you know, being sly or you're not being caring towards the family because physically you do not want to spread this disease because of the new variants. So you as yourself, not myself, yourself, you're going to have to make the decisions that, you know, I'm not going to allow uh, too many of the family members to come and visit the patient unless obviously, you know, they're about to die and, you know, a certain number of hours with them, etc. I'm not sure what the protocols are in individual hospitals, but when making these sort of decisions, I think if a patient was about to die on their deathbed, and sometimes it can happen unexpectedly, them being conscious towards the time of death, 
it can be very difficult. Like I was asking myself, I was, it's a question to myself, what would I prefer to die? Would I pref be, uh, prefer to be conscious right until the end? Or would I uh, want to go in a way that is just quick and over with? Because it's painful for families. You know, when you have a, a, an ongoing illness and you just, you know, you don't want your, your uh, family member or your beloved one to die, but it comes to the stage where, you know, you it's just emotionally draining. So how, you know, asking obviously yourself who's seen this these incidents, how would you, I'm not going to ask how would you want to die, but how would you kind of navigate between these two? Like a quick death versus a, a death where you're conscious right until the end and it's a prolonged kind of illness. It's, it's, it's because we've not been there, but, but I find it is, even before we start talking, the patients get to know that they'll come to this stage and you'll be surprised how prepared they are. It's, that's what I'm saying, very difficult. The patient get to know that. And, and sometimes the conversation you tell them, uh, the most difficult thing we have to do is talking to patients who are awake. It's easy to take, talk to relatives and tell that you are so-and-so is not going to make it unlike this. But telling the patient that you are not going to, most probably not going to make it, so it's futile to put you on the ventilator. So the response we get from them, you'll be surprised sometimes. I knew this was coming, doctor. So, Which is more uh, difficult, telling the family or telling the patient? Patient, definitely patient. Because I, we, we put ourselves in that position, as you said sometimes. So how, 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 so, and as it's our responsibility again to do or make them comfortable. So we, we can give them some medication if they're distressed, but we don't give any medication to stop it. We can't do anything actively, but say somebody is distressed, trying to cough vigorously or breathing rapidly, can start a little bit of midazolam and they will still breathing. So, so, and, and uh, when the family is around them, we tell the family, although he is maybe unconscious, talk to them, hold their hand, he will hear you. So it's just nothing better than having the family around, holding the hand. There you go. Uh, uh, Ian put it nicely. Life is a prolonged death. We've spoken about death here before and, you know, all the mm. Islam the ruh, the you know the soul of an individual and yeah how... i think that would affect today like the the fatwa on euthanasia for example i think that's where we've kind of come up to like because when you with your question about quick death versus long death then like it, it comes back to that point isn't it about when does the soul leave the body and when can you then and so it's like what would you prefer quick personally death yeah personally. very 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 quick so quick in terms of you don't know you're going to die and you don't have time to put your affairs in order and say goodbye it's good it's saying goodbye you know for for families and things don't you think that's a, a a part for the emotional puzzle to kind of put it together that's a good question man and we <laughs> have children habib you know i don't have a child at the moment but both of you alhamdulillah your father's now so it it changes as well 
like you know with with when you have more when you have a dependent because you know like imagine you have a young child versus you know if your child's older you've got the married etc you know how like, True, man. who are you going to speak to what what do you want to it's like you've got so many things but you're worried about your own self as well because as a muslim you're worried about your own sort of akhir. i miss chief magic that's a really good question as well yeah yeah i think his question is it better to tell them or let them have hope and this is again a really because in this country i think they tend to tell you the truth yeah um and some people don't really like that so because i think back home they tend to like to let everyone have hope and as muslims we do believe in miracles but um like i thought we all know exceptions to what the doctor has told us uh, but i think we'll just uh, we'll conclude with that question because we've got about not that many minutes left so we'll conclude with um magic i think you know um the uh, um, transparency let's let him let's let him recover man okay we'll let him recover but alhamdulillah you know it's been such an interesting sorry, sorry i'm back sorry i'm back i just wanted to have some uh, water because i had a oh, long okay. day i have uh, a okay, message imam habib Oh, okay, we're just having a um, we're just answering Mr. Magic's question, and then we're going to conclude because his okay. uh, Doctor Romney told me before you came, Imad, that he's not yeah. actually sat down for like the last ten hours. Oh, so I thought we'd let him get on with his dinner and his mm -hmm. life and his fatherhood and husbandhood and everything which is going to do. So two three minutes, and hopefully we'll look at this last question. Inshallah. Yeah, I think um, just a prelude to this question as well. Um, healthcare kind of practices. Uh, in Sri Lanka versus healthcare practices in NHS in terms of uh, the transparency because I know uh, when I spoke to some uh, kind of uh, consultants in um, vas the vascular team here vascular surgery uh, loads of them I don't know for some reason in our hospital there seems to be a theme uh, that most of the people in vascular surgery the registrars consultants and even the junior doctors are Egyptian so sometimes, mashallah, you know, they have a lot of uh, kind of experience from Egypt. So I know, you know, Dr. Muhammad, um, and interestingly, I think I can't remember who said it, but he's done so many amputations in Egypt. He's done like 400 amputations. So we nicknamed Muhammad Amputation Muhammad because there are so many Dr. Muhammads in, 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 in vascular surgery in particular. And, you know, Egyptians tend to have this thing where they have Muhammad as their first name and, you know, loads of other cultures have this as well. So loads of people are Muhammad and by their first name. So uh, Dr. Ramli is Muhammad as well. <laughs> Dr. Muhammad Ramli. And subhanAllah, this is from the level of the Messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, you know, naming someone after after the Messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa Muhammad, I've love for it. That's another kind of dimension to, to this. But, but the question was that this individual, he said in Egypt, there was a tendency to kind of speak in English so the patient doesn't understand. However, in the NHS, it's completely different. You have to speak in uh, English so the patient, patients do understand. So obviously, Arabic is spoken then, but not many people speak English. So this is uh, Mischief Magic's question. Is it better to tell them or let them have hope? Because by them withholding information, they are thinking in, in Egypt that they're having a mercy on the person. Because by me not telling him, he won't worry and he won't have this anxiety. So I'm removing this burden from him. But at the same time, you know, he needs to get his affairs in order. He needs to emotionally prepare. So is it better to tell them or let them have hope, as Mischief Magic has asked? Uh, we'll, let, we'll let Dr. Yeah, Imam. No, I think uh, I, I'll let you the spiritual side as well here. I want, I want oh, okay. uh, Dr. Romali, your opinion, your professional kind of way. Yeah. Uh, Having experienced so both sides of it. 
yeah, I mean, you have to be open. I mean, there's no no hiding. So communication is very important. I think we should tell. So uh, that's why you might be thinking. For me, I find practicing here easy because we are open and telling the truth. In Sri Lanka, I think it will be difficult. That's my personal feeling because here I everyone think, is open. Yeah. And I think even in yesterday's lecture with Dr. Romilly, I know Ms. Chief Magic was in yesterday's lecture as well. Um, I think we had that myth-busting kind of um, thing. Like, mm. So I think in maybe other countries, there's less trust of the NHS, of, of their National Health Service, or of their um, kind of of their government. Whereas here, we tend to have that trust. So I think the word Dr. Romilly used was telling the truth. Um, and I think the problem which... Um, that sometimes has, has um, with people who don't believe in their doctor is that this is like kind of well he's just making up how does he know how can he decide you know only Allah can decide when someone dies and I, and you might both laugh at that like you know somebody actually coming to a doctor and say how can you say someone's going to die but in reality like some people's akida might be slightly I would say slightly backwards like that where they don't actually understand the medical, you know, how the medicates are giving. And I think yesterday, um, and the way we understand the vaccine, for example, and how it's been gone through, and how Dr. Romilly and his co-speaker yesterday in their talk, they explained um, how some of these myths are kind of debunked. They debunked a lot of these myths. Um, I think um, very often it requires that open communication. I think to be as honest as possible and just telling the truth that based on our evidence, He's going to die in this many days. I think that you know the truth is what prevails. I think. Okay, are we nearing the end? Yes, we're concluding. Jazakallah, everyone. Bye. I just to conclude. I think so. Alhamdulillah, we've had a very interesting conversation. I hope this is the start. To, of many conversations we have, Dr. Amelie, inshallah. So, obviously, I would like to invite you again soon in the podcast to join inshallah. us once more where we can talk about many Love things to. because we just started. Um, so, what, uh, you know, just to kind of put an end to this. So, Alhamdulillah, you've had a pretty long career. So, what are your aims in the next few years before you, you end your career? What, what, what do you want to achieve? Like in because I know you're involved in research and these things. Is there like a certain number of research? Is there something in the in the pipeline that you're working towards? Or yeah, I mean, I want to teach, and I want to get more into. I mean, we have enough doctors, but we need we need enough. We have enough scholars, but we have combination. So I want to do more of religious aspect of medicine. So Alhamdulillah, I'm following a trick of medicine course. I've done level one, want to level two. I want to make sure the future generations have that. Alhamdulillah. So you're doing with Al Balagh Academy, if I'm correct. Yes. Okay. Yeah. This is a, a famous one. I think it's uh, Dr. Afaka Rashid. You know, uh, I've spoken yes. to him. Uh, I've spoken I think to I, him. I got somebody at the door. I'm on my own. I need to go now. Somebody ring okay. the bell. Oh, brilliant. Okay, okay. So okay. Now I think, um, just uh, just uh, just uh, <laughs> the podcast is exactly what I was looking for an insight into medicine. I'm so happy that you got that from this conversation. Um, 
Okay, you know, Imad, I, I, I do have to go as well. I have to go as well, you know. I'm not, I'm, this is not my life only. I've got, it I've is, got man. Well, you don't have anything else to do. I've got everything to, to do. I'm, I'm what, what, what else do you have apart from talk to me, man? Okay, I think that's a highlight of my Monday. <laughs> but so um, just just oh, one thing about you know about all this death and dying and you know stress and how to deal with stress. You can only learn that from someone who's been through it and someone who's senior. And he mentioned Dr. Fakat Rashid's uh, course, you know, the uh, thick of medicine. I think loads of medical professionals. I know loads of uh, my friends will be watching this who are you know medical students or doctors, junior doctors. I think you know try and. Like Dr. Ameli, look, I asked him, he's such a seasoned uh, consultant, but even then he, he wants to learn more. I think Habib taught him, knowing he's the enemy of learning, but he's managed to kind of channel that into in, in, in a way that he is kind of respondent to more and more learning. So he wants to learn more and he wants to learn more about Islam. And it's never too late. And look, he's such a busy man. You know, he's an ITU consultant. He hasn't, he hasn't sat down for the last 10 hours, did you say? Yeah. So, and even then, even then, look, he's completed level one. He's gone into level two of this course, something that he's interested in, something to do with Islam. And I think yeah. there's so much of this available. So, you know, and the thing is, you might not have time, right? No one has time. You know, everyone's really busy with things. But you have to make sort of time for these things, which are so uh, important for the next generation. Like he said, it's really important for the next generation. And there's loads of these courses. Dr. Afakal Jashid is a scholar as well, and he's a, he's a GP. And he's, he put together these courses. Inshallah, in the future, he's inspired me to put together these courses, you know. Mm. And, you know really Definitely, ben- man. I think with him, like he's used to, I think it's a case of deciding what's most important in your life. And mashallah, he's in a position, I think Dr. Ramli is in a position where he's kind of, you know, he's able to decide what to focus on to some extent. But one of the things which is really important for him is his spirituality, is his connection with Allah. Like he sought me out and he, you know, he found, uh, he used to come to the masjid like once a week, sometimes twice a week for his lessons. Um, you know, and you know, with a lot of, you know, like simplicity and, you know, with the mindset of learning. Um, and it's just because that thing's high on his list, like to be connected to Allah, to be a good Muslim is very high on the things that he wants to achieve. And, you know, I think when we put that on there, then the, the ways will come. <laughs> anyway, Jazakallah, man. Shall we end it what there? What say? Now Habib is right. Come on. <laughs> Why are you defending Habib? Alaykum, everyone. <laughs> okay, By the way, you've noticed my new